Hello, this is Dr. Mike Barnett with the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Thank you so very much for tuning in to our podcast, and I pray that today's message will be a blessing and an encouragement to you. We are engaging our people at First Baptist Church in an emphasis called Who's Your Mission? It is a challenge to personal soul winning and personal evangelism for the year 2023. We've asked our people to ask God for at least one soul to be burdened for that they might go after that soul and win them to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the theme of these current messages. And I pray that they will encourage you to be a soul winner and go after one soul that needs to be saved now and to know Jesus now. I pray these messages will help you. And again, thank you for tuning in. Thank you, Maureen. Grace and I've had the privilege of, of pastoring Marines who throughout my whole ministry, and every one of them have been solid, wonderful people, servants of the Lord. So thank you, brother. I appreciate you. Amen. Open up your Bibles, if you will, to 2 Samuel chapter 6 as we proceed on through our worship experience uh, on this Memorial uh, Sunday before Memorial Day. And I want to begin with verse 11. And we have a full um, day today in the house of the Lord, so we begin. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. And it was so that when they bare the ark of the Lord and had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and, and uh, fatlings. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was girded with a linen ephod. And da so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And as soon as David had made an end of offering, burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord, the name of the Lord of hosts. And he dealt 
among all the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well as to the women as men, to everyone a cake of bread and a good piece of meat and a flagon of wine. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. Then David returned to bless his own house, his household. And Michael, his wife, but here she's called the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants as one of the vain or worthless fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said unto Michael, It was before the Lord which chose me before thy father and before all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore will I play before the Lord, and I will yet be more vile than this, and will be base in mine own sight, and of the maidservants which you have spoken of, of them shall I be had in honor. Therefore Michael... The daughter of Saul had no child under the day of her death. Wow. How are we going to get anything out of that? This chapter is fundamental to understanding the doctrine of worship. If you were to ever study the doctrine of worship in the Bible, uh, which is where you would need to study it, you would spend, if you were accurate in your study, you would spend a lot of time in 2 Samuel chapter 6. You might recall that last week we saw what worship is not. As a matter of fact, we entitled that message last week, Not Worship. And we saw sincerity. We saw a big crowd. We saw a celebrative attitude and spirit, a wonderful celebration going on. We saw um, music. We had music, a huge orchestra. We even had the symbols of God before us. It looked like worship. If you saw it from a distance, you'd say, surely that is worship. But you might recall that it ended up was something that is not the result of worship. Those things are important, but none of them equivocate to worship. So we entitled that message, Not Worship. There may have been a spirit, but there was no truth. And it ended up in the death of somebody and the death of any gathering of God's people at that time to honor the Lord. If you haven't heard that message, I encourage you to go to our website and uh, view it. I uh, didn't think that I would, but I've got, I got and received a lot of response from that message. Text messages and email. It was one of those kind of messages that you preach, and after you preach it, when somebody walks up to you, you either duck or you pucker. Because they're going to hit you or they're going to kiss you, one or the other. And uh, I got a lot of positive response from it. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't heard it, to go listen to it. But today, we're going to preach not on not worship, but we're going to see in this text, worship. 
We also saw last week the process of repentance that David went through and how he asked the question, how shall the ark of the Lord come to me? In other words, how can I meet God in worship? How can I have him approach me when I want to worship him? How will he show up in grace and mercy and kindness and receive from me his due so that I can receive from him what he has for me to do and how he wants me to be? And he asked that question, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? And that question is answered in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and how that looks, what that looks like, and what that means is given to us in the text that I just read to you about worship. It's very telling that after the incident in the beginning verses of chapter 6, that David had the ark placed in the home of one named Obed-Edom, a Levitical, a man of the Levites, and his family. And the ark was in that house, in that household, for three months. Prior to chapter 6, it had been in the home of Abinadab for 75 years. But now it's in the home of Obed-Edom, after they tried to move it and do it so in a wrong manner. It had been there for three months. And the Bible says that God blessed, as we read, He blessed the household of Obed-Edom. They were just blessed with abundance. They were blessed in joy. They were blessed in their family. It was a blessed household. And the Bible says it was because of the ark of the Lord. And that goes without saying how they honored that symbol of the presence of God and how they honored the Lord in his home and they were blessed. And so before I even begin the outline of today's message, I want to share with you that worship begins at home. Let's kind of put it in a microcosm. Let's put it for Sunday morning. Now, now worship takes place all the time. You, you, you can worship the Lord. It doesn't have to be on Sunday. But let's just put it down to preparing and being a part of, of worship on Sunday morning because it was a big gathering, and we're not too far off uh, in an application for that. And so I would tell you from learning from Obed-Edom's experience and his household that, folks, if you don't worship at your house, you're certainly not going to worship in this house. And if you don't honor the Lord there, you're not going to honor the Lord here. Obed-Edom honored the Lord in his house, and God blessed him. And you know what happened? David heard about it. And David said, that ark is God's representation. It's where the Spirit of God, the Shekinah glory of God comes and meets with his people. This needs to be in the tabernacle. This needs to be in a public place. And so he went and got the ark. And Obed-Edom was happy. He was happy to share that blessing of the Lord because he knew it was for the nation of Israel. And he knew King David needed it to be in Jerusalem for the benefit of the nation so the nation can worship God and be blessed. And so uh, I would tell you, friend, use your home as a launching pad for the worship of the Lord. 
Worship the Lord in your home, and you will worship God here. So what does worship look like? Well, let's look at three things today, and I promise not to be too long because we want to take the Lord's Supper. But first of all, we're going to see the marks of worship. What does worship contain? What is it about worship that is worship? Second of all, we're going to see the model of worship. And then thirdly, we're going to deal with the Michaels of worship. Amen. She's in the text. We can't ignore her. We, we have to deal with her. If I'm going to be a true Bible preacher, I've got to deal with the Michaels in the text. So first of all, the marks of worship. Well, let me give you several things that worship is marked by. First of all, worship is marked by preparation. By preparation. After the incident of the first verses of chapter 6, when Uzzah was killed because of dishonor for the Lord, and the Lord was angry, and David got angry, and David asked the question finally, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? And the ark was placed in the home of Obed-Edom. David had three months to prepare for this worship experience we just read about. He had three months to prepare for it. And there's three elements to preparing for worship. And if you will apply this on Sunday morning, if you will apply this every day for a worship time every day, your private worship as well as your public worship, you will be well prepared to worship. First of all, there was the Word of God. To prepare for worship, you have to have in your mind and in your heart the Word of God. Three months David had to search the Scriptures, to search the Word of God, to see what he did wrong, where he was not right, and what he needed to do to get right, and then how to stay right. And so he searched the Word of God, and in chapter 15 of 1 Chronicles, the sister text, it said that uh, he said unto them, uh, David, that David said to the Levites in verse 2, None ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. For them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of the Lord. So David got the method and the mode of worship of moving that ark correct. Before, he didn't have it correct, and it was a disaster. It was everything but worship. And David suffered for it, and the nation suffered for it, and a man suffered for it, and his family suffered for it. The wages of that sin was death. So David went to the Word of God, and he allowed the Word of God to search his own heart and his thinking, and he found out from the Word of God, namely the book of Exodus, that it was the Levites alone who were to carry the ark, not anybody else. And they were to carry it with those staves that we talked about that went through the corners of the ark, and they carried it on their shoulders. And David said, that is one of the many things we did wrong. And the Word of God convicted him and changed his heart and, and took power in his life, and he yielded to it. And the second thing is, is David repented. He repented at the hearing of the Word of God. 1 Chronicles 15, verse 12 says, And he said unto them, You are the chief fathers of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, both you and the brethren, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel unto the place that I have prepared for it. And because... You did it not at the first. The Lord judged us. And so David called the whole nation, including himself, to repentance. 
And they said, we got to get in line with God's Word if we're going to carry the ark and if we're going to worship. And so he prepared with the Word of God. He prepared with repentance. And then he prepared with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. David entered into this experience of worship in the fullness of the Spirit and with gladness. You know, the Bible says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And David was filled with the Holy Spirit, and the people of God were filled with the Holy Spirit as they entered into worship here in this chapter 6 because they had joy and gladness. Let me ask you something. How did you walk in here today? Did you have a joyful spirit? Did you have happiness that you were coming to worship the Lord? And so the marks of worship is you prepare for it. You seek the Word of God. You let the Word of God show you your unconfessed sin, and you confess it to the Lord, and you repent. And then you ask the Lord to fill you. You ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. And you enter into His gates with thanksgiving, Miss Saxophonist. You enter into His gates with praise. That's how you enter in to worship. That's how you prepare for worship. Now notice something about this preparation. You do not worship in order to get right with the Lord. You worship because you are right with the Lord. Now, there's some folks who may need to get right with God, and we're glad we're here, and we invite you to get right with the Lord, to confess your sin, to talk to the Lord about it, receive His forgiveness, and, and confess. If you've got to go to somebody in this room and say, I've sinned against you, and you get right with that person and get right with the Lord, you're always invited to do so. Don't ever stay away on the Lord's day, because you stay away from the Lord's day because you're not right with God. You just get deeper into not being right with God. But you don't worship to get right with God. You worship because you are right with the Lord. Amen? We come in here to, to, to say, hey, God, we're right with you. Here's our thanksgiving and praise. And here's our worship. Receive it, Lord, as feeble as it may be. Another thing that worship is marked by is sacrifice. Verse 13 says they went six paces. You know what that means in the Hebrew? Six paces. That's what the Hebrew word means. It indicates they did not go very far in their worship experience before they sacrificed. Folks, I want to tell you what. You enter into his courts with the sacrifice of thanksgiving. That's what the book of Psalms tells us. We bring the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. You say, preacher, that's not much of a sacrifice is to be thankful. Oh, yes, it is. Because your sinful flesh and mine rebel against saying thank you to anybody. Your sinful flesh and mine rebel against the idea that we do not deserve an entrance into the presence of God. But I want to tell you, because of Jesus, I have it, and I am thankful. But my flesh resists that notion. And so you have to die to self to worship. And there's other sacrifices we make. Did you know the Bible teaches us to bring our tithes and our offerings on the first day of the week? Many, that's, that's a sacrifice, to bring your tithes and your offerings. That's a financial sacrifice. It's a time sacrifice. It's a Thanksgiving sacrifice. Worship is a sacrifice. You are dying to self to worship. Another mark of worship is, is the mark of celebration. Verse 14 says they had music. 
and they had singing. And lo and behold, are you ready for this? David danced. David was not a Baptist. He was a Hebrew. There were no Baptists back then. Baptists didn't show up till Jesus was born. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I believe that. All right. Don't mean to offend anybody, but that's what we are. Amen. You know what I'd be if I wasn't a Baptist? Shame to myself. But anyway, <laughs> David danced before the Lord. Now, there are a whole lot of questions about this dancing. And as a matter of fact, some churches do, very few comparatively, practice this idea of dance. I don't want to put any notions in your head, but could you imagine me? Absolutely not. But uh, it's real interesting. You see dance as a part of Hebrew worship. You see some of it. You see it here. When you get into the New Testament, you do not see dance in the book of Acts. You don't see, a part, you don't see it as a part of the New Testament church in the book of Acts. After the close of the canon, the close of the Bible, uh, the early church did introduce some form of dance in its worship. But it was quickly abandoned because it became abused. Now you might say, well, preacher, are we disobeying Scripture because David danced and we don't practice that? Let me share something with you. Much of the Bible is descriptive. It just describes what happened. It's not prescriptive. It's not giving us a command. And whenever you have a description of what went on, it does not necessarily mean it is something we need to do, but we look at the principle behind it. It became abused in the early church after the close of the, of the New Testament canon. It became abused. And it was abandoned. And I will tell you, we do not practice dance here at First Baptist Church as a part of our worship experience and tradition. And I will tell you, it would be very distracting here at a church such as ours. Now, there's some churches where I've gone to preach, and they practiced dance. It was nothing organized. It was very unique. And I realized quickly these folks ain't going to like my preaching. But uh, they were wonderful and they were kind and they were our Christian brothers and sisters. But we do not practice that here. It's not been traditionally a part of the experience of most Baptist churches. Now, if you want to dance, I would say don't be distracting to the people of God in the worship experience. Amen? Cole, you agree with that? I'm glad you do. But anyway... So that's that part of that dancing, and, and uh, we do not practice it. It would be distract, distracting, and, and in most places, it does become irreverent and becomes an end in itself, and perhaps that's why you don't see it in the book of Acts, in the practice of the New Testament church. But the principle behind it is one of celebration, celebrating the Lord. Celebration. Worship is also marked by humility. Now, if you get anything I say today from this text, get this. 
David took off his royal robes when he got in that procession. He took off his crown. He took off his bracelets. And he put on a linen ephod, which is the garments of a Levitical priest, of a lowly Levitical servant. And he put those garments on and he began to worship. He humbled himself. And what David is saying is the same thing Isaiah would say when Isaiah would, would go to worship centuries later. Here am I, send me. David put on the garments of a servant. And he's saying to the Lord God Jehovah, Here am I, send me. I celebrate you. I sing and dance. I want to serve you. And that's why I'm wearing these garments. You are the king of kings and lord of lords. I am your servant. I'm here to serve. Here am I, send me. But verse 16 also tells us that worship is marked by Michael's. Michael's, David's wife, Saul's daughter. We're going to deal with her in a minute. But every Sunday, and I'm not picking on anybody, but every Sunday and in every gathering of God's people, there is a Michael or two. I promise you. They're always here. We're going to talk about them in a minute, but every Sunday they're here. I've dealt with them for years. And you know what I've learned about the Michaels? The best way to deal with a Michael is just don't deal with them. Don't try to reason with them. Don't try to just pray for them. And we're going to talk about that more in a minute. But it's marked by Michaels. Worship is also, verse 18 and 19, marked by blessings. David blessed the people. When the worship service was over, he gave them all a loaf of bread, a cake of raisins, a flagon of wine, and sent them on their way and gave them a big old chunk of brisket or mutton or whatever it was and sent them on their way. And they went home with more than what they came with. Now, folks, we often say, and it's necessary to say, it is necessary to say that worship is not about you. It's really not. When we pray, we're talking to God. We're not trying to impress you. We're not trying to sing songs you like. We're trying to sing songs God likes. Worship is never about you. If it is, it's not worship. It's idolatry, and you're the idol. That's good preaching whether you like it or not. But I want to tell you something. People say, well, I just don't get anything out of the worship service. Well, that's because you got started wrong. You start with the glory of God and an obedient, repentant attitude when you come in here with humility. Here am I, send me, Lord. And I want to tell you, every time I worship, I get blessed. You can't outgive God. I give God worship. He gives me more than I've given Him in my worship. I get blessed. Amen? You always receive. Look, God cannot help but be a giving God. Our very fundamental doctrine of salvation said God gave his son. And when you come in here and give him thanks and praise, it's just like he lavishes upon you more and more so he can get more and more praise. And it's all about God. Isn't that a wonderful thing? 
And by the way, I read an old sermon about this from the 1800s. I can't remember the preacher's name. But he talked about uh, the ministry of the preacher. When and David giving out meat. And he says, preachers, in worship, you got to give your people something to eat. So pray for me that I'll always give you something to eat. And I'm not just talking about a bologna sandwich. Amen. And so worship is marked by the blessing. And they took their blessings where? Home. And by the way, Obed-Edom was blessed when the ark was his house. He helped move it to the house of God. And Obed-Edom got to take some blessings home. So you leave home blessed, you get here blessed, and you, leave back, and you go back home more blessed. Isn't that wonderful? That's what worship ought to be. Now let's talk about the model of worship real quickly, the model of worship. What are we modeling here? Well, let me ask you something. Just think about what David did. Do we have a king who took off his royal robes, removed his crown, put on the form of a servant in obedience to his master and has blessed us richly by honoring his heavenly father, his father, and yet is despised by some Michaels. Do we have a king like that? Yes, we do. What's his name? Jesus. When you worship and you come in and you're obedient to the Father and you take off your royal robe, say it's not about me, and you put on the linen ephod and say, here am I, send me, and you worship him in humility and you honor him and you hear his word and you seek and strive to obey it and you are blessed just like the Lord was blessed, Jesus was blessed with the church, we can get blessed with the things of God in our lives. You are modeling the Lord Jesus Christ. When we worship together in here on Sunday morning, we're doing more than just gathering to, to, to gather. We are showing forth the Lord Jesus Christ and the doctrine of his gospel. That's what we're doing. That is why the angels are watching us right now. Did you know that? Angels of God are watching us. That's what Paul says. They're watching us, viewing us, because they've never been saved. They never know what it means to be redeemed. They, uh, they are spiritual beings. They don't understand what it means to be saved and how a proper response should be. So they're watching us. Isn't that something? I'm going to tell you something else. There's lost people in our midst. People who do not know Jesus as their Savior come to our church. They sit in our pews, and they're watching, and they're seeing how we worship our Lord. And if we have smiles on our faces, and we're happy, and we're singing unto our Savior the songs of our faith, and we're hearing his word with eagerness and, and wanting to be obedient to it, and having joy and experiencing the presence of the Lord in our lives, Lost people see that, and we model the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see how important church is? And do you know, now I know why the author of Hebrews said, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, especially as you see the day approaching. 
The day of judgment is coming and lost people need to see what people who love Jesus really do when they gather together. Amen? We are modeling the Lord Jesus Christ. That leads us to the contrary to that. Let's talk about the Michaels of worship. Verse 20 through 23. I could say a lot about Michael. I'm just going to give you three things about her. Um, she's not called the wife of David here as much as it emphasized she is the daughter of Saul. It's as if the narrator of 2 Samuel, whoever wrote this part of 2 Samuel, is telling us the nut doesn't fall far from the tree. And uh, sometimes it doesn't. By the grace of God, it gets kicked miles away, but this time it didn't. And the real Michael shows up right here. She's kind of a, a snob right here. I mean, she's, uh, she's very bitter and hateful here in this text. Didn't you read it? Um, she's blocked herself from the blessings of worship. David tried to bless her, but she just sat there and said, Go ahead and try to bless me. Uh, that's what the old-time preachers I used to hear say. They'd say, Oh, that's the kind of person who sits in church and says, Go ahead, try to bless me. They just can't get it. Let me make three observations about Michael, and, and I want to challenge you to do what I did when I first prepared this message some time ago. I want you to do this in your heart. Ask this question, Lord, is this me? Okay? Lord, is this me? Number one, I want you to notice her disposition toward real worship. The Bible says she looked out the window and she saw David with that linen ephod coming up the road, people of God celebrating the ark, and it's just a remarkable experience. And the Bible says she despised him in her heart. She despised him. Why is this? Why did she hold David in contempt like this? Well, let me give you a little bit of background here. Um, back when Michael first shows up is when David is in, in 1 Samuel and he um, kills Goliath. And uh, everybody's impressed with that. And the women of Israel start singing a song. Saul has slain his thousands. Saul was Michael's daddy who was the king. Saul has slain his thousands. David has slain his ten thousands. And Saul had made the comment, anybody who kills the giant gets to have my daughter to a wife. And Saul didn't keep his word to David, but she found, he found out that Michael loved David. And he said, oh, I'm, I'm glad she loves David. I'll give her to David to marry and she'll be a snare unto him. She must have been something else. And she'll really mess with him. She'll mess him up. I mean, that's what the Bible says. You know, the Bible's just real, folks. Amen. The Bible's just real. And Saul did. 
But see, here's the thing about Michael. She loved the David that was supposed to become the king instead of her daddy. She loved the David that all the other women sang about. She loved the David that had on royal robes and the king's crown and all the benefits that come with being the king's wife. But she didn't love the David who humbled himself before the Lord. She didn't love the David who put on the linen ephod and said, Here am I, send me, Lord, I am nothing. And she had contempt for him. And she hated that part of David. And that's the problem with many Michaels. They come to the church to worship, although they can't worship. But they come to the church to worship because they want something from the man who has the royal robe and the crown. They don't want to learn anything about the one who wore the linen ephod and served with humility. You follow me? They have a skewed view of Jesus. And your understanding of Jesus is going to be manifested in your worship. And it was. She wanted the crown, but she didn't want any part of the cross. The crown calls us to share in the glory of Jesus, but the cross calls us to share in the death of Jesus. And that's not what she wanted. It's real interesting how that happened. Notice um, also her arrogance. Verse 20 and 22. The Bible says she came out to meet David. And I could just hear the tone of her voice. Well, wasn't the king of Israel so glorious today? Uncovering himself in front of all the young maidens. You're the king. You shouldn't be dressing up like a common servant uncovering yourself. Notice she, she talked about how he uncovered herself. You know what I've learned about the Michaels? When they see something they don't like that went on in the worship service, they always exaggerate. Did you know that? They always have an exaggeration. She basically looked at David and said, Well, here you are dancing naked in front of all the little girls in the kingdom. Well, he wasn't naked. He had on a linen ephod. You know, um, I've been here 22 years, if you don't know uh, much about our church. I've been here for 22 years, and um, I'm not even going to try to remember the name of this person, but Miss Tracy and I came down early before we moved down here to set up, you know, find a place to live and because uh, the pews were uncomfortable first few nights, and I'm playing. Find a place to live and, uh, you know, get business situated and all that. And um, we met one of the people who attended our church. Cam, where'd you go? Cam, where are you? And she commenced to letting me have it. I wasn't even the pastor yet. I didn't start till January 1st, and this was like in December. And so I ran into Michael before I ever put on the ephod. Amen. 
And this individual commenced to haranguing me about the drums in the worship service. Now, I'd already been in a worship service. You'd already made the mistake and voted me in. You already voted me in. I was coming. And so I knew what it was like. And Cam, she said, it looks like a, it sounds like a rock and roll concert. I said, well, I've never been to a rock and roll concert. You know, I don't know what one of them sounds like. Remember that? And I mean, it was something awful. We got in the car, and I looked at Miss Tracy. I said, Miss Tracy, do you reckon we missed God and made a mistake? She said, no, but I believe she did, <laughs> or something to that extent. She always puts things in perspective for me. But they exaggerate, and that's what Michael did. She just exaggerated it, and that's what they do. But her arrogance... Where did she learn this? Well, do you remember when her, her father was after David to kill him? And um, David was on the run, and he came to the city of Nob, N-O-B, and he went up to the priest at Nob, and he said, I need some, uh, the tabernacle was there at Nob at this time, and, and he said, I need some food. And the priest gave him the, the showbread, the day-old showbread, to eat, And then he said, I also need a sword. Do you have a sword? And he said, well, the sword of Goliath's here. And he took the sword of Goliath. Remember that? And there was a fellow there in Nob who was one of Saul's uh, servants named Doeg. And Doeg went back and told Saul, the priest of Nob have helped David, your enemy. And so Saul called together all the priests at Nob. And they had on their linen ephods. They were serving the Lord. And Saul murdered them all, killed them all, had them all killed. So perhaps this is where Michael learned, had learned behavior about how to have contempt for those who wore the ephods and those humble servants of the Lord. Michael said, my father would kill you with no, no explanation at all. He, he would blink and you would be dead dressed like that. And that's when David said, well, your daddy not king no more. God put me in his place. And I got news for you, sweetheart. I'm going to get worse than this. I'm going to humble myself even more. That's what he said, isn't it? He, and, and, and the girls in time, the girls in the country, the maidens are going to honor the Lord more because I honor the Lord more with humility. So get ready, sweetheart. Get ready. That was her arrogance. Let me ask you something. She learned that from her daddy. What are you teaching your kids about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? When you leave here today and go to dinner or go home and put dinner and your kids are at the table or your grandkids are at the table, what are you going to gripe about that went on in here? How are you going to put contempt upon the preaching of God's Word and the preacher, if I might say? or the singer today, or on O'Cole. What are you going to do? What are your kids are going to learn about the value of worship? What are they going to learn about the value of worship from you? What are your grandkids going to do? Woo! That's good preaching. You ever heard the old Baptist joke? Well, what are y'all having for lunch? Well, today it's going to be roast preacher. You ever heard that? Oh, folks, listen. I grew up in a Christian home. My daddy was always one who supported 
pastors, 100% supported pastor and staff. I never remember him saying a single negative word about one of the staff members of his church. And I remember we did have one. I found out years later what had happened. We, we had one who fell morally, and my dad was instrumental in, in making sure that uh, things were done correctly. And I remember that. But years after I became a pastor, my dad and I went to South Texas back home one time, and we went to see one of the old pastors. And we walked in and sat down at his house, and uh, the pastor looked at me and said, David, how are you doing? David's my brother. And I said, well, I'm not David. I'm Mike. And uh, he said, well, let me tell you something, Mike. He said, the saddest day of my life was when your dad and I finished a visit one night, and he looked at me and he said, I've got to leave. I'm moving. The Exxon is moving me, and uh, I'm going to be somewhere else, and, and so that's it. And he said, I asked the Lord in, Lord, why? Why Wes? Why Wes? And he said something to me. He said, um, There was a group that wanted to run me off. And he said, uh, so they decided to have a meeting at the house. And their goal was to invent, and forgive me for being just blunt, they invent a woman's story. That's what they were going to do. And he said, they made a mistake and they invited your dad. And he went to the meeting. And he said, he, when that meeting was over, all was said and done, and I stayed there for another 20 years, that church. And he said, I want to thank him for that. Isn't that something? And I've often wondered if that's why I have never had a whole bunch of loud Michaels in my churches. I just wonder if God is blessing my father. For that. Somebody, a young preacher, asked me one time, they said, uh, how do you handle, and he's talking about Michaels, how do you handle that barrage that you get sometimes? I said, well, I hadn't had one in a long time. I guess they think I'm hard-headed. They're not going to talk. But uh, I said, well, you know what? I pray for them. I've learned this. Not fire back. Boy, my personality, folks, sometimes, you know, I do want to fire back. But um, my personality sometimes lends itself to that, but i got to keep my body under subjection. Amen? And just pray for them and love them. You know, Cole, now, Cole, listen to this. The Michaels that you run into in your ministry, listen to this. You pray for them, minister to them when you can. Amen? Minister to them when you can. Out love them. And if you can't, and, and, and keep on trying to out love them, and you just might outlast them. Amen. And let God take care of them. Amen. Now that's good advice, folks. That's good advice. Amen. Can you give me an amen? Of course you're going to amen unless you're a Michael. But anyway. <laughs> and I told that young pastor, I said, tell your wife to pray that God will call their sons and grandsons to be pastors and give them church members just like them. Woo! Amen. Oh, listen. Look, Michael, if you're here today, get up. Come on. You don't have to slip under the pew. Get up and let's worship. Amen. 
I'm just picking on you, but that's the truth. That's the truth. Don't, don't be that way. You don't have to be that way. If you're lost, you may not have a choice right now, but you can be saved. If, you're, if you've got unconfessed sin in your life or bitterness, maybe, maybe somewhere down the line you feel like the church did you wrong or a pastor or staff did you wrong, forgive and, 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 and ask God to, to, to help you and, and confess that sin and ask him to restore to you the joy of your salvation. And you don't have to be a Michael anymore. Amen. Because let me share with you what happens to the Michaels, and this is the, the last thing about her, her fruitlessness. The Bible says she had no children to the day of, the, as a, day of her death. As a matter of fact, she's never mentioned again except just one time, and it is in reference to somebody else so we know who somebody else is. But she's never heard from again. These are the last recorded words of this Michael. I don't want anything like this to be my last recorded words. But nonetheless, her fruitlessness. The fruitlessness of worship. She can't worship, so she criticized. She would never bear fruit for the Lord. Never bear fruit for the kingdom. Never give David a son who could possibly become king or at least a prince. You know, the Michaels will never win anybody to Jesus. And they're probably not interested in winning anybody to Jesus. A Michael, unless they repent, will always be what they are. They won't grow in grace. They won't grow in kindness. They'll continue that. And so let's model Jesus before the Michaels. So how do you keep from being a Michael? Just don't be one. Ask the Lord, Lord, I don't want to be a Michael. How do you correct that? Let me give you three things, and we'll take the Lord's Supper. Three, three takeaways. Number one. How do you prepare for worship? Let me, give you, let me give you this advice, especially if you're a young family. And I know it's hard to get ready on Sunday morning. We raised two kids, and, and it was often hard. For many years, we couldn't drive to church. Now we're in the, in the years where we get to drive to church together. And we have, a, we, we have a joyous time coming to church together. After we argue over my tie. No, no. But before you leave to come here to worship on Sunday morning, get dressed, eat your breakfast, do whatever you do on Sunday morning. First of all, stop and take a breather. Just take a breather. Don't turn the television on at all. Amen? Leave that boob tube off. But stop and take a breather. And join hands with your household and say, Lord, we're about to go worship. I pray that you would show me and all of us, each one of us in our hearts where we have unconfessed sin that will hinder us from worship. I pray you would enable us to see that. And then we'll confess it to you. Turn from it. And I pray that you would... Guard us against distractions. Remind me to turn the cell phone off when I get there. Remind me, Lord, to protect myself against anything that's going to be distracting and protect us against distracting. Pray for my Sunday school teacher and the class members. Pray for Dr. Mike as he stands to preach God's Word and Jay as he sings and Cole as he leads out in his areas and oversees his ministry.
Give them joy today so we can be joyous. And just talk to the Lord about it. Ask Him to help you come worship. And then get in your car. And get here as soon as you can. And if you need, if something happens between your house and in the car, you might need to join hands again. Amen. How many times have you walked into church? Well, I'll tell you what. Hey, pastor. God bless you. We're so excited about the Lord today. When we get home, we'll do with this. Huh? Amen. You know how I know that happens? Because it's happened to us. Amen. But you just join hands and say, Lord, help us to worship today. And you pray. Maybe you're here and you're struggling with something right now. And, and you're having issues in your life, and, and whether it's financial, health-wise, whatever it is, you, you bring it with you, and it's hard to focus because that's an old burden on you. I know that, folks. I know every Sunday there's people here with burdens that are oppressive and hurtful. But this morning, the Lord showed me something, reminded me of something, and, and, and all Job chapter 1 and verse 20 says that when Job, after all that he went through, the loss of his wealth, the loss of his family, his sons and, and, and children, that the Bible says, and Job worshiped. He worshiped. And he said, the Lord gives and the Lord, that's verse 21, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away blessed be the name of the Lord. For some way and somehow Job was able to transfer the burden he was bearing and was able to worship the Lord. And it might mean you need an extra measure of prayer and preparation to come in this building after what you're experiencing and, and, and turn this into a sanctuary. That's what the old-timers used to call it, a sanctuary. Then it became an auditorium. Let's call it a sanctuary. And say, this is where I'm going to worship my Savior. I don't see how I can thank Him for what I'm in right now, but I can sure thank Him for the cross and the resurrection and the promises He gives me and the strength He's given me. Well... Let's remember, and let's partake of the Lord's Supper. Um, on this cup, you have a top layer, which will remove the bread, and then you have a bottom layer, which will open up the cup. I want to uh, read a, a prayer right now um, from the... Puritans. This is a come from a book of the prayers of the Puritans, and it says, Thou hast prepared a feast. Thou hast prepared for me a feast. And though I am unworthy to sit down as guest, I wholly rest on the merits of Jesus and hide myself beneath his righteousness. When I hear his tender invitation and see his wondrous grace, I cannot hesitate, but must come to thee in love. By thy spirit, in living my faith, rightly to discern and spiritually to apprehend the Savior. 
While I gaze upon the emblems of my Savior's death, may I ponder why he died and hear him say, I gave my life to purchase yours, presented myself an offering to expiate your sin, shed my blood to blot out your guilt, opened my side to make you clean, endured your curses to set you free, bore your condemnation to satisfy divine justice. Oh, may I rightly grasp the breadth and length of this design. Draw near, obey, extend the hand, take the bread, receive the cup, eat and drink. Testify before all men that I do for myself, gladly in faith, reverence and love, receive my Lord to be my life, strength, nourishment, joy, delight. In the supper, I remember his eternal love, boundless grace, infinite compassion, agony, cross, redemption, and receive assurance of pardon, adoption, life, and glory. As the outward elements nourish my body, so may thy indwelling spirit invigorate my soul until that day when I hunger and thirst no more and sit with Jesus at his heavenly feast. On the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and broke it and blessed it. This is Cole Andrews. Thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. I just wanted to encourage you to visit our website, fbcosms.com.